This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, would, y'all, would y'all turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 for the scripture reading this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, we'll read verses 4 through 9. 4 through 9, would you stand? Chapter 3, verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministries through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. Father, we again want to come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you. Thank you for the work that you do in your church, Father. Thank you for your indwelling presence. Your grace that sustains us and supplies us, empowers us to do all that You've placed us in this world to do. Lord, um, we ask for Your enablement this morning as we consider this passage before us. We, We pray that You open our minds and hearts to hear Your truth and receive it, be changed by it as as You intend. We pray, Lord, as our Lord prayed for us, sanctify us by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Use it to change us, Lord, so that we are empowered to live for Your honor and glory. And it's for that reason that we ask these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Zach and um, Hannah. Appreciate that. Um, well, we're going to um, pick up our study in Corinthians this morning and um, consider these few verses before us. And just want to kind of remind you of the, the context here. Um, Paul, again, is, is addressing problems in the Corinthian church. Um, we've, we've already discussed some of them, some of the main Underlying problems, of course, that's going to expand as we move through the book. There are a lot of things that, that Paul deals with. But right up front, we have seen that um, there's, there's, there are divisions or schisms. That's the word used here, schisms in the, the church at Corinth. There seems to be a, um, a, a tension between the church and the Apostle Paul. And then also uh, some schisms among, among the church members themselves, different ones as we see in this passage different ones claiming to be followers of, of different leaders. Um, so we have learned by now, as we've walked through the first couple of chapters and into chapter 3, that these things are evidence of carnality. 
what we call carnality, um, to use the uh, old King James term. It just means simply that they're, they're acting out of the flesh or, or like they are of the flesh would probably be a better way to put it. So Paul says, for example, in the latter part of verse 4, um, because of these things, are you not being merely human? That is, acting as mere men. Now, the idea there is that they are acting like people who are void of the Spirit of God, who have not the Spirit, rather than acting like Christians, people who have the Spirit of God within them. So, while Paul seems to acknowledge the genuineness of their salvation and and even reinforce that with a lot of the comments that he's made, he, he acknowledges that God is... Has, uh, has done a work in them and is doing a work in them. At the same time, um, he, he, he's telling them, you're, in spite of the fact that you've had a genuine experience with the Lord, that is, you're saved, in spite of that, you are acting like the world. You're acting like mere men. Men who do not have the Spirit of God within them teaching them. Unspiritual would be another another way of saying it. We've talked quite a bit about that. So now, uh, in verse four, uh, we're, we're getting some more explanation. In fact, verse four starts with with the word for f o r, um, and it's in its explanatory statement. Uh, he says just prior to that, you're behaving in a human way. For when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow follow Apollos," are you not being merely Men are human. So he points to the divisions, and, and this, I think, is, is um, still relevant <laughs> in our, our situation today because it seems to me um, that these schisms that Paul is now referring to are personality-driven. So, so, again, we've seen some different aspects. We don't know all the details. Paul doesn't lay out the detail of how all of these things are playing out, but he does tell us, uh, that in evidence, uh, as evidence of their carnality, that they are chasing after worldly wisdom. Talked about that earlier on. They're acting like those who are void of the Spirit. Now he's giving some more explanation how that plays out. You are dividing yourselves according to personalities, different leaders in the church. Um, and, and, and so your, your, your thinking is somewhat personality-driven. Now, he, he refers specifically here to himself and Apollos. These are both true men of God. Both um, authentic teachers, teachers of the Word. Earlier on, he also makes reference to uh, Cephas, it would be Peter, and even, and even Jesus. So you've, you've actually, uh, it seems, have people going around saying, I'm of I'm Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And they're pitting one leader against another based upon what they, they, they think about them. In other words, so, you know, Apollos seems to me to be a better preacher than Paul. Or maybe he's just, we're told that he's eloquent, maybe, maybe he's just got a, uh, one of those magnetic personalities and he knows how to articulate things. 
And some say, I'm of Paul. Maybe, maybe they're considering all the things that Paul has suffered for the gospel and they're thinking, yeah, okay, maybe he's not the best speaker. Maybe he doesn't have the best appearance. But he has shown himself to be a great leader. He endures, he perseveres for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's people. And so they, they are pitting these leaders one against another. And so Paul's taking issue of that and, and saying, this is evidence of your carnality. You're acting as mere humans, that is, persons without the Spirit of God. You're acting in a manner that is unspiritual. So he's pointed to uh, the fact that they're enamored with wisdom and eloquence, the divisions among them, and their personality-driven loyalties already as evidence of their carnality. Now, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a problem um, at the center of all of this that Paul now begins to address. It's what we're going to begin to talk about this morning. And that is that they have a faulty view of the church. In other words, they, they don't understand the nature of the church. And they don't understand the nature of the leadership of the church. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. And again, as, as we've stated, as Paul states, they're thinking in merely human terms. And so they're, they're looking at the church much like they would look at other worldly institutions. And the, the Corinthians, like all of the Greeks of this era, are used to thinking in terms of schools of philosophy. And to this day, you know, those, those schools have... Have uh, many of them have have come down to our own day, and you may be familiar with uh, terms like uh, just to give you a couple of examples from the scripture: the Epicureans and the Stoics, mentioned in uh, in Acts, the Book of Acts. And that those are different schools from different teachers, and so you've got uh, uh, different ways of thinking, different philosophies taught by a man, and then you have the, those who follow that man, the school of a certain school of philosophy. And they set themselves one against another. You know, this way of thinking is better than this way. And so, um, you know, we're of this school. We're of the Epicurean school. We're of the, the school of the Stoics. And others have other preferences. And Paul's telling them that that's the way you're thinking. That's the way you're thinking the church operates. And it was similar in Judaism, which would be Paul's background, because you had the same thing, basically, with different rabbinical schools. And some would highly esteem one rabbi over another. So, for example, Paul, we're told, was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a famous rabbi, highly esteemed rabbi. And so, at least in Paul's pre-salvation days, that would have been something to boast about. <laughs> well, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I learned from the Master. And he could take him and his doctrine over against other rabbinical schools. So, they, they still have this, this mindset. So I'm, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. As though, as though they're teaching different things, as though they are um, one against another. 
And this is one of the amazing things, by the way, about the Word of God and about Christianity. You've got 66 books represented here, written over several thousand years by 40 some odd different authors. And there is no, you know, contradiction, one school against another. There's no tension in that sense. There's, there's one narrative, one overarching narrative from Moses all the way to John, the revelator. One overarching narrative. And the story harmonizes. So if you're reading Luke, or if you're reading Paul, or if you're reading James, or if you're reading Mark, you're getting one philosophy, to use their term. <laughs> you're, you're getting one story. And so there's no reason to divide. These men are working together. But, but they're failing to see the nature of the ministry here. So, Paul begins to, to straighten that out. Let me go back to verse 4 again. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human or carnal, fleshly, of the flesh? Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Now he's zeroing in on, on, the, on the leaders and their, their, uh, their role, the nature of the ministry. We use today the, uh, the word ministry, and this is one reason why I'll get to that in a moment. But, um, so Paul's zeroing in on their function. What, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Now he gives the answer. Servants. Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. Now, the, the, the term servant there is a, is a very, very common one, and it's employed by Paul a lot when he talks about uh, workers in the church, when he talks about the ministry in general, or when he t- even talks about the leadership as, he, as he's doing here. It's the, the term from which we get our word deacon. And deacon is, the word deacon is basically a transliteration. And that is, it's brought over into the English almost without translation. The Greek word diakonos just becomes deacon. And that's the term that Paul uses here. We're deacons. Now, he's not meaning that in the sense that a lot of people think of today. And In fact, you would find different definitions. You go to different churches of what a deacon is. But... Simply put, we're servants. Because that's what the word means. And by the way, that's what it should mean in, in all of those cases. A, a, a church deacon is a church servant in the scriptural sense. Servant. But Paul would even use that designation as he does here for himself. A servant. A minister. A minister. So it's not a, it's not a separate class like today we think of uh, ministry. Laity. And that's not the way the Scripture portrays it. It's, it's simply service. Service. Now, what, what, is a, what is a servant? What is a minister in, in this sense, in the scriptural sense? Well, um, it's, it's the idea of a, of a, literally, of a table waiter. 
So someone who, who serves something. Someone who, who meets some need, who, 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 who provides service. So I know a lot of times, uh, um, you know, we'll go out to eat somewhere and a lot of times they, you know, they've trained them, the, the, the waiters have, how to be polite and so forth. So I mean, they'll, they'll come to your table and, uh, you know, hi, I'm Joe and I'm going to be your servant today. That's, that's a great analogy of what Paul is talking about here. And in one sense, that's what every Christian is called to be. A servant. We're all servants of Jesus Christ. We're all serving, in one sense, the Word of God. That is, we're, we're, we're trying to proclaim the truth to the world. And we're all serving, in another sense, that we, we live for the edification of one another. So we're serving needs. You think of it in very practical rubber meets the road terms. You know, clothing the naked, providing shelter for the homeless, food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, rest for the weary, setting the captives free, that, that, that kind of thing. We're serving people. And Paul is saying that's, that's true of church leaders as well. Now, they've, they've got a different function. They, they, they serve in a teaching capacity. But they're not in a separate class. Just filling a different function, providing a different type of service, doesn't, doesn't put you in another class. So Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Deacons, diakonoi, servants through whom you believed. Paul's saying, yes, we're the means that God used to bring you to faith. In other words, the means that God used to get the gospel to you. The means that God uses for your, for your sanctification, that is your growth. But that's, that's it. We're, we're, just, we're just servants, instruments that God uses. There's nothing essentially different. We're just servants through whom you believe as the Lord is signed. What he's, what he's saying is we're just, we're just doing God's work. We're just, we're just doing the assignment that God has given us. And it's interesting because um, we still have this problem today. And I see it run both ways. Some churches or, or individual Christians, or you could even say, uh, sometimes you could refer to whole traditions, you know, like Baptist, Methodist, um, Episcopalian, whatever it is. Some overemphasize the leadership role. Again, what, what we would call the ministry and some do it to the point um, of, of basically creating a modern priesthood so that you've got basically mediators. And so you, you definitely have those two distinct classes, laity and ministry. And then on the other extreme, you have those that undervalue the leadership. Sometimes that's just by not, not seeing the importance of, of uh, you know, sitting under the, the, the Word being preached, taught, proclaimed. Sometimes it goes all the way to the extreme of we don't need that at all. 
So every, every man's basically an island to himself. You know, I can speak to God directly and He can speak to me directly and I don't, I don't need a teacher. Well, theoretically that's true. <laughs> In theory. In other words, God could speak directly to each one of us. It's just not the way that He's chosen to do it. And so he places different people in the body doing different functions. A couple are referred to here. Paul and Apollos. Paul, Paul gives us a little bit of description. Very general, but still gives us some idea of how, how this works out. And he wants the Corinthians to understand this. There's a place for the leadership roles. And there's some distinctions within them. They don't look the same. They don't work out the same. But they do work together toward the same end. So, in verse 6, uh, well, let me back up to the last part of verse 5 again, because this last phrase is important. As the Lord assigned to each. So, Paul says, we're just servants as the Lord assigned to each. That is, we, we have an assignment, we have a function that that depends on what the Lord gave us. It's different for different servants. So, for example, in Ephesians 4, Paul says um, that, that God gave gifts to the church. He gave some apostles, some evangelists, some pastors, some, pro- some prophets, some pastors, teachers, right? Different functions, different giftings to the church. And it depends on God's assignment. In other words, how, how God assigned... Um, different people to do different things. How God assigned people to function in the church. In 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul says it's, it's according to how, the, how the, the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. So everybody functions differently. And that's, that's true of, of the, the, the teaching roles as well. We, we don't have different schools of philosophy. At least we should not have. What we have is... Different teachers or leaders functioning in different ways. Different specific purposes, all designed to achieve one larger purpose. So, in other words, there shouldn't be division. What there should be is cooperation. These different roles, different functions, and by the way, part of that, I would say, personality comes into play with that. In other words, God makes people different ways. And so then they, they, they're also assigned different functions. And so the whole way they operate is just different. Brother Carl, I've, I've watched him in the pulpit. He can get away with saying things that I can't get away with saying. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's just kind of the way it works. Personality comes into play. And, and, and some guys just come across... And, and this is good, by the way. I'm not knocking them. They come across loving and sweet and gentle, and, and I long for that, uh, you know, and I'm not there. And part of that has to do with personality. And, and part of it has to do with, you know, just, uh, just sin. But sometimes just personality makes people function differently, and then depending on the role they're in, it just, it just looks different with different people. So, Paul goes on with some explanation here. The Lord assigned, as the Lord assigned to each. We're servants as the Lord assigned to each. And then verse 6, he fleshes that out a little bit. 
I planted Apollos water. He's pointing to two different functions there. And I think what he has in mind specifically, when he says, I planted is, I I founded the church. And that is true. You, You go back and you read Acts 18, and you have the story there of Paul coming to Corinth, and the church at Corinth is founded at that point. And Paul, um, you know, people come to Christ under Paul's teaching, and the church is born, so to speak. And, and these two verbs, planted and watered, are in the aorist tense, which, which indicates a kind of a snapshot. He's talking about something done. I planted, and I founded the church, and Apollos watered. And I think what's pictured there is, you know, Apollos coming behind Paul and just helping, what we would say, just kind of helping sure people up. Just encouraging them, teaching them. And again, we know from, from Acts 18 that Apollos was a, was a very able teacher. He was, a, he was an eloquent uh, speaker and, uh, and strong in the Old Testament Scripture. I mean, he had a, he had a, a great working knowledge of the Old Testament, as did Paul, <clears throat> of course. But Apollos could come in and, and help people with their understanding, and uh, in an eloquent way, um, expound the word and encourage them. So he's pointing back to that. I planted, and Apollos watered. But the point is, we we weren't working against each other. And we weren't working for different goals. I wasn't trying to start the school of Paul. And he wasn't trying to start the school of Apollos. You see what he's doing? He's putting them on level ground. Apollos is not above Paul. Paul's not above Apollos. And in fact, Paul and Apollos are not above the other members of the church. We're just, we're just servants. Servants doing God's assignment. Just dishing out God's Word. So, he says, I planted, Paulus watered. That is, we have different functions, but the same goal. We're we're working in the same school, so to speak. But God gave the growth. I'll come back to that. Verse 7, still talking about the servants for now. Verse 7, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. See what Paul says? We're nothing. We're nothing. And I guarantee you, and this is not false humility on Paul's part. I certainly hope it's not on mine either, uh, what I'm about to say. But it's, it's not false humility on Paul's part. Um, I guarantee you, if Paul was nothing, then if there's such thing as less than nothing, I'm, I'm less than nothing. <laughs> I guess there is, because that's what uh, the Lord is, says, and I think it's in Isaiah. He refers to the nations as less than nothing. It's kind of hard to, hard to imagine, isn't it? So it's an emphatic way of making a point. You're nothing. That's what Paul says about himself and Apollos. We're nothing. In other words, it's not about us. Don't get all caught up in us. You know, we don't need a first church of Apollos, first church of Paul. 
That's not what we're here to do. We're not starting schools of philosophy, competing schools, or rabbinical schools. That's not what we're about. It's not about us. We're nothing. We're nothing. We're just, we're just servants. All, all eyes should be on the Lord. But we're nothing, Paul says. So, he's, he's addressing their misunderstanding of the nature of the ministry. We're, we're workers, we're laborers. In fact, he goes on to say that. Again, verse 7. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. I was referring to that a moment ago. He brings himself and Apollos to level ground. We're, we're on the same field here. We're one. And I think one reason he's doing that is to emphasize the, the unity that exists among them. You, you have these people saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And Paul is saying, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not competing. We're one. We're one. We're working for the same goal. We're working toward the same end. And he who plants... He who plants and waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So you've got different, different works, and God will, um, God will give different assignments to different ones and reward them accordingly. That's, that's all God's business. It's all God's doing. But we're working toward the same goal. We're working for the same Lord. We're one. For we are God's fellow workers, he says in verse 9. Not, not fellow, not, not workers with God, but workers with, with one another. Some translations have it that way, fellow, work, or worker, fellow workers with God. But um, the idea here is what Paul is saying. We, we, are, we are nothing. God is everything. That's, that's kind of the point he's making. We're not doing the work. God gets the credit for everything that's happening here. We're just, we're just fulfilling our assignment. It's God using us as a means. He's God working through us, but we're nothing. The one who plants, nothing. The one who waters is nothing. So we're just fellow workers. That is, Apollos and I, Paul is saying, we're fellow workers. God's fellow workers. And you're God's field. So Paul says, we're just servants in the field. We're not competing, and one is not above another. There are, yes, there is different gifting, but one is not above another. We're one. Now, so, they've got a wrong idea about the ministry in terms of, of uh, their role. They've also got a, a wrong perspective concerning God's role in the church. So let me go back over the, some of these same verses quickly here. Verse 6, I planted... Well, verse 5, let me start there. He says, it's the Lord that gave the assignments, right? We're just servants. What are we? Servants. As the Lord assigned to each. That is, we're, we're fulfilling our, our assignment, our obligation according to what God has given us. But it is the Lord who assigns to each according to His own will. And then verse 6, He says, I planted, Apollos watered, 
But God gave the growth. God God gave the growth. So yes, it's true. Now here, here's kind of a paradox. And sometimes we, we, we can easily trip up on this. Are there things that we must do? Absolutely. Paul says, you know, God's given us an assignment. We're servants. That implies doing something. You serve. And yet, he says, it's really God doing it through us. Just using us as a means or like a conduit. So God's really behind it all. God's really the one enabling and empowering. So in terms of the church, while Paul can say in one sense, I planted, that is, I founded the church, in, in reality, the power of God is at work behind that, behind the scenes, if you will. And so it was God who was adding to the church those who were being saved. So I mentioned earlier that these two verbs, planted and watered, are in the aorist tense. And the idea there is kind of a snapshot. You know, I, I planted, it, it's done, it's back there somewhere, like looking at a still shot. But the third verb here, gave the growth, is in the imperfect tense. And that speaks of ongoing action. So it seems to be like what Paul is saying here is, I planted, Apollos watered, that is, we, we, we did something. I, I founded the church, Apollos came behind me to help cheer you up and encourage you. But God was continually giving the growth, is the idea there. And he, he probably means by that, not only, it's not, not as though I planted, Apollos watered, then God came in and He's continually giving the growth. But I think He's meaning all along. So in other words, simultaneously. I planted, and as I planted, God was giving the growth. Apollos watered, and, and when Apollos watered, God was giving the growth. And so, what Paul is saying, we don't deserve to be highly esteemed. We're, we're, not, we're nothing. We're servants. We're nothing. We're not anything. He who plants, he who waters, nothing. God is the one. God is the one. Who is to receive all praise? God is the one to be esteemed. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, again, verse 7. So, Paul's going to apply that now. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We're nothing. We're nothing. It's God who's everything. Only God who gives the growth. God creates the church. And God sustains the church. He is creating a people unto Himself. He who plants, verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. So Paul is saying, we're just servants, we're just workers, we're nothing, God is everything. 
We just do our assignment, but it's God who makes it effective. It's God who empowers. It's God who gives results. That's still true today. We preach the Gospel in obedience to the Lord, but the results are up to God. We plant, we water, God gives the increase of the growth. One final note. They were also, it seems, because Paul addresses this, um, holding the wrong perspective in terms of ownership. God creates the church. God gives growth to the church. God owns the church. God owns the church. It, it belong, the church belongs to God. Now, that's not just true in, in the big picture. I mean, we, th- we think of the church universal worldwide, across the ages, across cultures, across geographic boundaries. The church belongs to the Lord. Well, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. But it's not only true there. It's true in terms of the local church also. So Paul could say to the believers at Corinth, you're God's field. We're servants. All we are is workers in the field. We're just, we're just laborers. We're just out there planting, watering. But we don't own the field. We work for the one who does. God owns the church. And it's, it's so easy... It's so easy if we don't guard ourselves to give lip service to that. I mean, after all, what Christian is not going to agree with that, right? If you say, God, God owns the church. And everybody's going to say, well, certainly God owns the church. It's so easy to give lip service to that. It's not, not quite so easy to live it out when it comes down to making decisions. When it comes down to church functions, whatever it is, to, to do what we do with that mindset, that this is God's church, this is God's field, He owns it. And Paul makes that abundantly clear here, again in verse, verse 9. For we, that is, again, he's referring to Apollos and himself, for we are God's fellow workers. Now, there's three phrases here. Paul, Paul's going to shift into a different metaphor, which we're not going to, we're not going to deal with this morning. Um, we don't have time to deal with this morning. That's God's building. And then he goes into talking about that in verse 10 and below. So, Lord willing, we'll come back to that later. But I do need to, to uh, draw attention to that phrase, God's building. Three phrases here. God's fellow workers, God's field, and God's building. And in every one of those phrases, God is in the emphatic position. And I'm, I'm talking about grammatically in, in the Greek. In Greek, the word order uh, matters. And so, a lot of times, words will be put at the front for the purpose of emphasis. We, you know, we would, we would do that. Uh, we, we can't do that because we'll mess the, the sentence up a lot of times if we do that. Uh, our, our grammar doesn't work the same way. 
So, you know, we might, if, if we want to emphasize something, we'll put it in bold type or underline it or something like that. But uh, word order doesn't, as far as making sense in the Greek, word order doesn't matter. You can tell what the subject is by the spelling. So, I mean, so you can virtually put it anywhere in the sentence. So if you want to emphasize something, you can just, it's okay to move it, you know, and you can put it right up front. And that's what Paul's done here with the, with the word God, and he did it all three times. God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. The emphasis is on God. And that's Paul's whole message here. <laughs> the emphasis is on God. It's not on Apollos, it's not on me, it's not on Cephas. It's what God is doing. It's not even, not even all about the church. It's about what God is doing in the church and with the church. We're not at the center. Paul's not at the center. Apollos is not at the center. I'm not at the center. He's saying you're not at the center. Everything belongs to God. We are God's workers, Paul says. We're just servants. We're just laborers. We belong to God. You, the church, you're God's field. That's possession. You, you are owned by God. And he will state that even more emphatically later on in the book. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. You're God's field. God has ownership. And you're God's building. And as I said, he's transitioning here. But he does the same transitioning into a different metaphor. But he does the same thing in that phrase. The emphasis is on God. He has ownership. So the church is created by and owned by God. So we should have a biblical perspective of God and of His, of His servants. No, nobody, um, nobody should be out there trying to create disciples for themselves. We're, we're making disciples of Christ. Jesus said, go <clears throat> make disciples. But he didn't mean by that, you know, you, Skip, you go and you make disciples. And you, Sheila, you go and make disciples of Sheila. And you, Ron, you go and make disciples of Ron. No, he meant for all of us to go and make disciples of him. That's what Paul is saying. We're one. We have the same objective. Apollos is not trying to create followers of Apollos. I'm not trying to create followers of Paul. What we're trying to do is get people to follow Christ and to help them in doing that. So we should guard against overemphasizing the role of man and, and we should guard against underemphasizing it as well. Um, there's a place for it in the church. And we're all followers of Christ, not of men. And as followers of Jesus... This is one of Paul's main points here. As followers of Jesus, we should all be unified. Again, that's behind his statement. Apollos and I are one. There's an implication there. We're one. You should be one. There there shouldn't be these schisms. We're all followers of Christ. There are no class distinctions. 
We serve one Lord, and we all belong to Him. We're serving one purpose. We should be unified in purpose. We're laboring together in kingdom work, edifying one another, and reaching the world with the gospel. Paul's saying that's, that's what we're about. It's, it's God's work. It's God's work, not ours. And what he's saying to the Corinthians is don't lose sight of that. Or if you've lost sight of that, <laughs> regain it. Get the focus back on Him. It's not about Apollos, not about Paul, not even about the Corinthians. It's, it's something much, much greater. It's about Him. It's about God and what He's doing in this world. Keep the focus on Him. Would you stand? And we'll dismiss. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, after the services at First Baptist and the, uh, and the graveside at, at Houghton Cemetery, um, we're, yeah, we're inviting everybody to come back here, all of the family and, and all, to come back here for food. So, yeah, um, if you're if you're available to help with that, please be here. If if, if you're um, again, we like the family members we have. If you can be here, plan on being here, please. Uh, we 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 want to serve you in in that way. And uh, I, I I specific time I don't know because it'll just be after uh, immediately following the service there at the graveside. So the the funeral service is at 2 p.m. and we'll go from there to the graveside and from the graveside here. By one o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Right. Anything to get to go along with that? We got chicken and ham coming. So. Yes, sir. Amen. 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 All right. Anything else? Jesse, I, I, I know you know this, but I mean, we, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it, Miss Scott. I mean, I, we, there's not a, a there's not a person in this room that could that could adequately express that in in words. And uh, mm. amen. <laughs> Somebody had to do it, huh, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's pray. Um, Brother Carl, would you mind dismissing us? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.